You're listening to The Path Forward Dayton, a Dayton Daily News podcast where we discuss the most pressing issues facing our region and seek solutions. I'm your host, Dayton Daily News Community Impact Editor Nick Herkman. Today's podcast is a recording of the community conversation we held on Wednesday, April 13th, on the topic of immigration in the Miami Valley. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's community conversation. I am Nick Herkman, the Community Impact Editor for the Dayton Daily News. This month's topic, we're talking about immigration in the Miami Valley. Community conversations are a, a monthly series of live broadcasts with panelists from around our region talking about issues important to our communities. Uh, these are topics that trickle up from comments and, and uh, the, the community feedback that we receive on things that are critically important for discussion. And there's a lot of discussion about immigration these days. And so we're looking to address some of the concerns you have, some of the questions you might have about current the, the current state of immigration and refugees in the Miami Valley. Uh, joined today, we, uh, we have Katie Landa from the Dayton Human Relations Council Board. And uh, she's a researcher with that organization. Uh, Katie, do you mind giving a quick introduction? Sure. Hello. Hello, everyone. I uh, moved to Dayton a little over a year and a half ago from the East Coast, and uh, I became um, active here in coordinating a group of volunteers that worked uh, with New American Economy and the American Immigration Council on the recently released report, uh, New Americans in Montgomery County. And then I had uh, several experiences, mostly in Massachusetts, where I kind of immersed myself in, in issues pertaining to immigrants and their families. I uh, recently com completed a PhD program in social policy, and I did my dissertation on how uh, public policies and the way schools are structured affect um, immigrant parents navigating for their children with, with special needs. And uh, I was a high school teacher I, in Massachusetts. I had uh, worked with many uh, children of, of immigrants and uh, became involved for about a decade with a youth-led uh, movement of undocumented students that uh, were advocating for public policies to provide uh, access to higher education and a pathway to citizenship for undocumented immigrants. And then at uh, the University of Massachusetts, Boston, I helped to set up a task force of staff and students and faculty to create supports for undocumented students there. Thank you, Katie, for joining us today. Ross McGregor, could you go first or next? Sure, thanks, Nick, and uh, hello to everyone viewing today. My name's Ross McGregor. I'm the president and CEO of Pentaflex, Inc. in Springfield. Uh, Pentaflex is a contract manufacturer of uh, components and sub-assemblies for the heavy truck and automotive industries. And uh, certainly, you know, we're very actively looking for uh, quality employees to join our team. And as a part of that uh, effort, we certainly welcome and look for uh, people who are new immigrants uh, to the Miami Valley uh, to join us here at Penaflex. It's been a uh, very good, positive experience to date. 
and uh, happy to share my thoughts and uh, experiences with the uh, viewers today. Thank you for being with us today, Ross. Jean Dudu, could you go next? Thank you, Nick. Uh, my name is Jean Dodier Mukunzi. I'm the executive director of Ebenezer Healthcare Access. For those who do not know about Ebenezer Healthcare Access, we are a nonprofit based in Dayton, and we help immigrants to overcome language and cultural barriers to access healthcare and other community resources. So uh, prior to my current job, I was working for Ohio State University Medical Center as a population health project manager. And uh, because of uh, my moral obligation, I decided to leave my job to come here to join many community organizations to address different social determinants of health within the immigrant and the refugee population. I am from Rwanda and I came here back in 2008. I have a bachelor's degree in clinical psychology from the, the National University of Rwanda. And I have also a master's degree in public health management from Wright State University. I am married. I have three kids and I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Jean Dudu. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, Swamna Purandari, could you go next? Sure. Hi, everybody. My name is Swapna Purandare. I um, currently work as an associate professor at Sinclair Community College um, in the Early Childhood Education Program. Um, I came to the United States in 2007. Um, I am originally from Mumbai, India. I did my um, bachelor's and my master's in child development from India and came to the United States on um, a student visa to do my PhD. So um, my PhD is from the University of Tennessee in child development. Um, while working on my PhD, I um, assisted my advisor who was working with, um, heavily working with Burundian refugees in the Knoxville, Tennessee area. So I did that for a few years before I graduated. And um, I currently live close to Columbus, but I still work in Dayton. I love Dayton, work in Dayton. And as a part of my job, I get to work um, a lot with um, international students. I am a part of International Education Committee at Sinclair. So we see a lot of international students and work with them. Happy to be here today. Thank you so much, Swapna. Laura Resch, could you go next? Uh, good afternoon. Thank you for the introduction or invitation to participate. I'm really pleased to be on this panel today. Uh, my name is Laura Resch. I'm the CEO with Catholic Social Services of the Miami Valley. Uh, our organization is celebrating its 100th year of service this year. We provide a, an array of professional and volunteer-based social services for residents of Greater Dayton, as well as the Miami Valley region, uh, including refugee resettlement work, where we have been involved for over 60 years, resettling from many countries, many communities of people in partnership with the U.S. State Department and the Conference of Catholic bishops. I'm looking forward to sharing more information about that and thank you again for uh, my opportunity to participate. Thank you, Laura. And finally, Niels Winther, could you go last? Sure, I'm always last W. <laughs> uh, good afternoon, everybody. I am Niels Winther. Uh, you can tell from my accent that I wasn't born in this country, 
very happy being here. I am born and raised in Denmark. I uh, worked for a Danish company that had operations all over the world. So I have lived and operated and raised a family from, from very early days in, in Hong Kong, in, in, in Beijing, in Singapore, in Bangkok. And in 1996, came here, uh, moved to Atlanta. I've been here since. Um, wanted to uh, have my name on the door, had an entrepreneur flame burn. So in 2004, I quit my my job as a CEO for a North American German company, uh, outfit of a German company, and wrote a business plan around uh, how to consolidate and how to do more in the printing industry. And in that regard, focused on the Valley, uh, Miami Valley, and uh, did that because of the work ethics that, that we have here in the Midwest. And in 2006, together with another uh, couple of uh, individuals, bought a printing company, patented printing, and in 2008, moved here from Atlanta and have been here since and uh, absolutely love the area, love the people and love what we do. Very pleased to be participating in this, in this program here. Thank you, Niels. It's a pleasure to have everybody here today. I want to remind our audiences that we're taking questions for the panelists. If you have a specific question, uh, please leave it in the Facebook chat. Our digital specialist will make sure that gets to us and we can address those as they come in. So I'm going to just jump into the questions here and I'm going to start with Ross. Uh, what does a welcoming community look like to you? Uh, Nick, uh, you know, I, this is something I've given a little thought to. At Penaflex, we have uh, in the past, oh, 18 months, um, been hiring a number of Haitians that are now uh, relocated into the Springfield community. And uh, I've often thought, you know, how would it feel if all of a sudden I were in a totally unfamiliar environment, uh, knowing nothing of the culture that I'm in and they knowing nothing of the culture from where I came. I think that, you know, one of the things that we've tried to do here at Penaflex and where I think is something that should be replicated on a community basis is when you have a population that you know has uh, established itself in your community, some outreach to understand where is it that they've come from and what are the conditions that they had been living in that made them want to relocate uh, to the Miami Valley. Uh, understanding where someone's coming from goes a long way to helping interact with them and helping them get up to speed on what they need to do to be successful now that they're here in the uh, Dayton Springfield area. So I think, you know, understanding their cultural background, uh, I think that a welcoming community also anticipates that there will be certain needs that these new uh, immigrants are going to have to have access to, certainly uh, uh, understanding how the healthcare system works, um, helping them with uh, any uh, technical immigration issues that they may need to uh, have uh, access to some consultation on uh, would be very good. And then, you know, certainly uh, the language barrier is, is something that has to be overcome and some sort of uh, means to help give them at least uh, the rudimentary uh, knowledge of how to interact here in, uh, in Ohio and in America. Um, I know that, you know, We've worked closely with uh, our, our 
patient associates to try and understand uh, uh, what they need specifically. Um, you know, interestingly, I have found that some of the folks that are working for us here at Penaflex right now actually are degreed individuals uh, that I never would have known because of the language barrier. And uh, now that I understand that, uh, I understand better what they're actually capable of. Uh, but they still, despite their education, uh, the language barrier hampers them from being successful and vice versa. So those are just some of the things that I think of off the top of my head uh, that could be a good resource for immigrants in a welcoming community. Thank you, Ross. Did anyone else want to join in? Again, a welcoming community. I know the city of Dayton itself was uh, certified as one of the first, recognized as one of the first welcoming communities in the country. Um, what does that mean to you? Anyone else want to hop in on that? Nick, I think I can jump in. Um, and a welcoming city, uh, as you might know, Dayton, as Nick was saying, yeah, has been certified as a welcoming city. And I think, uh, according to me, a welcoming city is a city which has good policies, and the Dayton has, uh, and the programs to help immigrants and the refugee by providing to them some tools to succeed. Here tools to succeed, I want to mean um, access to education, access to healthcare, access to transportation, access to housing. When a city has the policies uh, to address those uh, determinants of health, I can say that it's a welcoming city. And I think uh, Dayton, city has been uh, doing all of that. Thank you. I can um, add a little bit uh, from my areas of expertise with schools and also uh, my experience on the, uh, the board of the uh, City of Dayton's Human Relations Council. I feel that it's, it's very important that uh, schools K-12 schools provide uh, linguistically competent systems information to parents who didn't grow up in the United States about how schools work and all the special programs for students that they have and how to access them. And that schools must have trained language interpreters and translators to facilitate communication between school staff and, ch and children's parents whose first language is not English. And I, I think schools uh, must support student learning and assessment in students' first languages, as well as in English, and that schools should really strive to be uh, multilingual and that the curriculum for children and youth should really include supports that help them accept uh, difference and allow students to explore the histories and cultures of all the nations and groups that um, inform their experience. And then in terms of what I've learned from being on the board of the Human Relations Council, I think it's really important uh, for cities to have human rights organizations that mix um, paid facilitators and city residents and workers to work together to identify unmet civic and social 
and economic needs discrimination and advocate for more equitable and inclusive policies at municipal, uh, county, state, and federal levels. I think this should you know, be focused not only on new Americans, but all uh, city residents and workers. But this is important for groups that are um, you know, trying to be fully included uh, like new Americans. Thank you, Katie. Um, I was going to ask you also, since you your involvement with the Human uh, Rela Human Relations Council and also the work you've recently done part, partly prompted this discussion. Uh, that if you want to talk a little bit about the report um, that was recently done, uh, the New American Economy Report, uh, talking about how immigration affects the, the Montgomery County and the local economy, the regional economy. Can you talk a little bit about the benefits and are there any concerns that people want to address? Yeah, I thought, um, so I uh, um, helped to uh, get the grant from uh, Welcoming America to have, uh, for us to work um, with New American Economy, the American Immigration Council to produce um, a report on New Americans in Montgomery County, um, and also to, to uh, set the groundwork to have a strategic planning process around immigrant integration for Montgomery County. And uh, so this report was recently completed by the American, by New American Economy, American Immigration Council. And um, it's really kind of stunning in that it really stresses the, um, the demographic and economic contributions that immigrants have made. Uh, to the county, and they're pretty spectacular. I think you know that a lot of times when people think about um, immigrants, you know, as, as you said um, in the beginning, Nick, the people are worried that um, immigrants are coming here and taking from people who were born here. But what the report shows <laughs> is that immigrants are really um, making huge contributions to the economy that make life better for everyone. So I'll give you some of the, those details. Um, the report shows that there are 25,400 new Americans um, in Montgomery County, a little less than 5% of the population. And that uh, one of the important things that they've done is that there is um, a population decline in the area but um, the immigrant population has increased by 25%. So that has really slowed uh, the population decline significantly. They made like absolutely huge contributions to uh, taxes, including property sales and excise taxes levied by state and local governments and federal income taxes and to the uh, Medicare and Social Security programs. So from Montgomery County, uh, they contributed $75.1 million to uh, state and local taxes, $144.4 million to federal taxes, $74.4 million to Social Security, and $19.8 million to the Medicare program. 
and um, they contributed greatly to the county's uh, GDP. They contributed $1.9 billion to the county's GDP. And then um, with their earnings, uh, net of the taxes they pay, they have a significant spending power that can benefit the local economy. So that spending power is estimated to be $562.4 million. Um, so that is a huge contribution that's being made that, you know, really goes unnoticed. So I am, you know, very excited about the fact that um, this work was done um, to, to, to identify um, this contribution. I think it's very important. Thank you, Katie. Katie, I think some of those those highlights, those key those key figures are important to keep in mind. I think uh, again, it does kind of go at some of the heart of the concerns that many audience members might have about, you know, are these people taking something from Americans? Is there, you know, this yeah. this, you know, are they, you know, taking social services away from us? When it it seems pretty obvious that they're actually contributing a lot and they're they're very very much helping our region. Yes, it's really the other way around, and and most there are bars to their eligibility for a lot of the programs that their tax revenues are paying for. Um, and in addition, I think, you know, the one statistic that uh, really troubled me that's in the report shows that almost uh, four out of 10 new Americans in Montgomery County are not eligible to naturalize, to become citizens. And until you can become a US citizen, you can't really fully integrate into the US. So I think that that kind of, that that indicates that we, you know, in the Miami Valley area have to be involved in advocating for federal policy to really give people a pathway, all people a pathway to citizenship. Sure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Katie. We're going to pivot a little bit. I'm going to go to Laura Resch to talk a little bit about what's been in the news a lot about when it comes to the Afghan refugee resettlement process. In the, the Sunday Day and Daily News, we did a piece on uh, that, that process, on the ongoing uh, status of that resettlement. And then also, if there's, uh, you know, with the Ukraine conflict in the news and the war and uh, the millions of refugees that have been displaced, uh, if, if the Dayton area and the Dayton region could be seeing any Ukrainian resettlement efforts in the near future. Yep, thank you. The, um, the resettlement of, um, of refugees from Afghan, even though we've been in this work for over 60 years, was a very unique experience. The uh, first, and we all saw it in a, a, you know, um, live in, in many ways, the evacuation from Afghanistan that we, um, you know, that, uh, that occurred back in uh, August, I believe it was. Um, that first evacuation, again, was a, a unique process. And then the arrival of over 75,000 people from Afghanistan, the refugees who were primarily SIVs, uh, special immigrant visas uh, at the time. Um, first point of arrival in the United States was to military bases across the country. And so that was a unique experience as well. And then after then, leaving the military bases, arrival to communities across our country, including Dayton, Ohio, um, was that next step. So having the, um, the Afghans to be displaced twice uh, in such an urgent um, and abrupt manner and in a crisis was a unique experience and the first time that we've ever uh, seen anything like that. 
we had over 130 Afghans arrive in, again, a very short period of time when the when the community of people came here to the Dayton region. And at that point, then we started the the reception and placement activities that they're that they're called that um, that others have already referred to access to um, to housing, whether it's a prepared uh, rental home or in the um, in the case of the Afghans, many went first to extended stay hotels because of the short term and abrupt um, uh, window of time where we were notified that they would be arriving. So uh, access to housing or extended stay hotels, access to healthcare, which was mentioned, you know, enrollment of, of kids in schools, which was mentioned as well, uh, language, ESL classes and training and tutoring, um, acculturation supports, uh, job training and placement. So all of those activities um, begin immediately upon arrival. And as you can imagine, it's again, it's, it was a quite, um, quite an experience to be displaced twice in such a short period of time and to arrive to America with the kinds of challenges and, and the assets too that we've talked about already here on the panel, um, the lack of the, of the language capacity in, in, some, in some cases, um, you know, absolutely impacts the uh, experience of the refugee, no matter what country they're from. Uh, affordable housing here in the Dayton area uh, continues to be a challenge. Uh, it's not just in Dayton, but across our country, the access to safe, affordable housing for people who are on modest incomes to start. Um, it, it continues to be a challenge, and it's one that we uh, all recognize in the resettlement world as something that requires additional uh, focus and resources and, and partnership together with people who want to provide uh, a landlord a safe and affordable um, home for a newly arriving person, whether a refugee or an, or an immigrant. Um, the uh, need for community partnerships is, um, you know, it, it, and volunteers is a really very incredible, uh, incredibly important to mention to complement the work of a, of a resettlement organization like Catholic Social Services, we do rely on community partners um, across all the systems, uh, faith-based community partners in healthcare and education and in law enforcement um, in, in concerned volunteers to really care and really work together to complement the efforts of the staff to assure um, this, those supports and services are, are met. Uh, and in many ways, um, you know, kind of functioning as a, as a pseudo family member to really care and really embrace and, and, and work to provide the supports for the family to get themselves resettled. Um, and I think it's important to mention too that the um, it, this is just the start of a brand new life here in Dayton, Ohio. It's not the conclusion of the brand new life. And, and true resettlement takes many, many years, many people working together to help the family um, you know, reach those goals of, um, of, of full employment, of stability, of, of participation in our community, which benefits all of us, takes much, much time. Um, many of the resettlement organizations across the country, if I could just add one more comment, and I, and I know that you have a lot of other important questions to ask, but I would just share that many of the resettlement organizations across the country are piloting uh, a new model called um, co-sponsorship, where uh, resettlement organizations are working together in a collaborative manner with trained volunteers who then take on many of the um, traditional resettlement activities that, that would have been um, completed by staff members but volunteers trained and background checked volunteers uh, working together to again work in concert to assure that the full resettlement experience um, is, uh, is, is uh, successful for the family. And so we are um, 
uh, we're learning, we're, we're, we're following, we're studying the co-sponsorship model. We don't have that here in Dayton at this time, but we are learning from that experience and looking forward to thinking together with our community partners about something that would, whether the co-sponsorship model would um, um, be an enhancement to the resettlement work here in our region. Thank you so much, Laura. And I mean, it sounds like a really compelling model. And you know, again, uh, something uh, about the, the the collaborative nature of volunteering and the communities involved. I think uh, we'll get to that a little bit. Uh, a question about how how people in the Dayton area can get involved and and can support these efforts. So I'm going to address that soon. But first, I'd like to take a quick break. We're about halfway through the program. I wanted to reintroduce it to folks who might have just joined. You're listening to the Community Conversation hosted by the Dayton Daily News on the topic of immigration in the Miami Valley. I'm Nick Herkman, the Community Impact Editor, and I'm joined by uh, a panel of folks. Uh, I'd like to start with Katie Landa, Ross McGregor, Jean de Dumukunzi, Sopna Purandare, uh, Laura Resch, and Niels Winther. And we've been talking about immigration and some of the obstacles and challenges and some of the figures and stats. Um, and we are absolutely open to your questions. So if you have anything you'd like to ask of our panelists, please don't hesitate to put it in the comments on Facebook. Uh, we're happy to address those and work those into the program as we go. So I know we are again flying through this, half an hour is already gone and we have plenty of more questions. Um, I'd like to get to a reader question uh, for Jean Dedu. I wonder if you could, a uh, reader and anybody can chime in, but Jean Dedu, uh, a reader asked, what can she do as a friend to an immigrant who was just denied asylum? Um, she's concerned about keeping to the law, but uh, she's at a loss of how to handle that friendship now that her friend was denied asylum. Uh, do you have any advice around that? Yes, uh, yeah, I think I, I have some advice to give. Um, at my knowledge, uh, I can say that uh, more than 60% of people who submit their application as asylum seekers, they do not get approval right away. So what is happening to the, the that person is normal. Sometimes at the first time, they, not, they do not give you the approval, but they give you a chance to find a lawyer to help you. And that is happening to many, many people. So, I think it's not the end of the world. There is a way we can help that person. We he can find a lawyer and uh, then go to the court. And I'm very sure he can get the asylum from the court. That's what I can say. Thank you, Jean Dedu. Did anyone else want to add to that? I know that can be a difficult situation for someone. just wanted to add a little bit and say that it, it it's important to remember that it's nobody's fault when a person doesn't get asylum. So not to get disheartened. And like John, did you mention, get legal help and that will really help you um, to, you know, get asylum the second time you apply. Know what the steps are to apply for a second time because it's important to know the steps as well. So don't get disheartened. It happens to a lot of people. You're not the only one. Don't get disheartened. Keep at it and apply another time. Thank you, Swapna. Did anyone else want to add? We have a few other reader comments I'd like to get to. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to Katie for a little bit. I was contacted by Yusuf Alzain, who's concerned that Arab Americans are undercounted in the report, the new American uh, economy report that we just discussed. Um, I was gonna ask if you were able to comment on that and anything about that, that data collection process. 
Yes, thank you, Nick. I, I think that uh, Yusuf's concern is, is a very important one. The, um, some of the information in the report, actually uh, most of it, comes from the uh, American Community Survey that's administered by the US Census Bureau. And it comes from the uh, 2014 and 2019 surveys. And this survey is known to undercount immigrants. So the, the counts may not be accurate. So this affects, um, I think, well, three kinds of data in the report. One is the distribution of nations of origin that new Americans in the area come from, and the other is the languages that they speak. And then the, the third is the economic contribution. So with the uh, nations of origins and languages, they actually did look a bit off to members of the steering committee who were reviewing the report as it was being, you know, it's different, uh, it was going through different, drafts. And um, we actually, the report is the first step to kind of lay the groundwork for a community-based strategic planning process that we're hoping will happen. And so it's very important as part of that process, or even if we don't get to that process, that there is a, a locally-based data collection, if there's a desire to really understand what are the nations of origin and what are the languages that people are speaking, not to rely totally on these uh, Census Bureau data, but to also collect data locally to get a, a better picture. And, um, and what's really interesting in terms of the economic data, because the, the Census Bureau tends to undercount immigrants, the, those, you know, fabulous estimates of economic contributions that new Americans have made are conservative estimates and maybe even larger um, due to problems with undercounting. Thank you very much, Katie, for responding to that. Uh, so I'd like to go to you next and ask you a little bit about um, maybe some of the lesser known local resources in the, the Dayton area for immigrants that you deserve, that you feel deserves more attention. Um, sure. I think um, if everybody goes to the welcomedayton.org um, website, there are several, several resources given over there. And I am really impressed at how, you know, the website lays out several different resources. I think some of the resources that are um, not very popular are most of the ones that are actually um, specific to specific cultures. Like there are resources for Burundian culture and education. There are resources specifically for Hispanic Catholic uh, ministries. There are resources for um, Islamic society of Greater Dayton. Um, there are also resources um, that are developed for um, Hindu immigrants by the Hindu temple that is in Greater Dayton. So I think those are the few resources that um, people should reach out to. It's important that people that are in their same situations to make them feel like home. So those are the resources that I think that are very important. I think also um, a lot of people are not aware that um, higher education in the Greater Dayton area focuses on international education. Um, Sinclair Community College, University of Dayton, um, Wright State University, all of these have international education offices that specifically can give you information 
um, about getting higher education. I know a lot of immigrants um, have higher education degrees in their countries that do not directly transfer sometimes to the United States and they need help with taking a few courses. So those I think um, go a little unnoticed sometimes or um, a lot of times people don't know how to um, take advantage of those. So reach out to the international education offices. Um, there's also a lot of healthcare resources that I think um, are important for people to um, take um, advantage of, as well as um, um, as well as food pantries. Not just the Dayton Food Bank, but um, you know, also um, Grace Vineyard Church food pantry, other churches that have food pantries, um, and take advantage of those. Um, so those are a few resources that I can think about in the area that are extremely important. Thank you, Swamna. That was really helpful. Did anyone else have anything they wanted to call attention to? I mean, a lot of these things can slip through the cracks and not everybody's as well uh, informed as, as all of you panelists are. So if anybody wanted to shed some light there, Jean de Deux, did you want to go? Yes, uh, I needed to add another resource. Uh, there is uh, the National Resource Center, I think. It's, uh, it's owned by the University of Minnesota and the CDC. When you go at that website, National Resource Center, you will find many, many, many information to help immigrants. And also there is a website called Medline Plus, is a government website. When you go there, you can find some healthcare resources in different languages. And in addition, when you are in Dayton, you can come to Ebenezer Healthcare Access. We have multilingual staff to help people to navigate healthcare and community resources. For example, if you need to schedule a medical appointment, you call in your own language and say, hey, my name is Jean, I need to see a dentist. Someone will come to you in Iringara, in French, in Swahili, in the Kenya Murenge, in the Kenya Rwanda. Or if you have some kind of discharge instructions, you go to the hospital, they give you some information in English, and you do not understand them. Come to Ebenezer Healthcare Access, we will help you. Also, if you do not understand your medication, we do have nurse practitioners to help you to do some kind of medication reviews in the language you do understand. And we do provide also computer literacy. We do provide health education in different languages. So there are many uh, resources here that we can, immigrants can use. Thank you. Thank you, Jean Dedu. Uh, Ross, I was going to ask, I was going to get to another reader question. Um, a reader is asking, why should resources and effort be directed to immigrants when we already have so many issues with our existing populations? Uh, why not spend the money on those already here? Well, Nick, uh, I would say again, you know, this is, this is my opinion as an employer um, and, you know, a lifelong resident of uh, Springfield in the Miami Valley. Uh, and, you know, as a former member of the legislature, I'm very aware with the resources that uh, are made available um, to uh, you know Ohioans, native-born Ohioans. Um, I've seen uh, a lot of those go underutilized, uh, and there's a lot of resources that just are never accessed, even though they're made available. Um, so 
again, you know, thinking as an employer, if I have a uh, immigrant population that is now here and they're looking uh, to be employed, um, I, I, as an employer, want to see them be successful and uh, make sure that they feel that this is a place where they can uh, uh, set down roots and uh, find, uh, find a good living. Um, I, I don't think that, you know, to address the, the reader's question, I don't believe it's mutually exclusive. Um, I think that, you know, we will always continue to provide uh, incredible resources for Ohioans uh, to access, to help them in all ways, shapes, and forms. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't also uh, have resources to help uh, new immigrant Ohioans uh, get on their feet and be successful. I, I just don't think that it's a mutually exclusive issue. Yeah, and I can um, also add to what uh, Ross is saying, the evidence from the, re the, the newly released uh, report on new Americans in Montgomery County, given the you know, huge contributions new Americans are making uh, to our tax bases, uh, that fund uh, these programs, they, it's only fair that uh, they be able to utilize these services as needed the way we, we all do. I think those are great points. Thank you. Thank you both Katie and Ross to responding to some of those. Um, Niels, I was going to go to you next and uh, ask, you know, to, to Laura's point a little bit earlier about volunteering and kind of the collaborative effort that a lot of the institutions in our area, uh, whether it's resettlement or welcoming immigrants, what can someone in the Dayton region do to help refugees and immigrants? I think, uh, thank you very much for the question. Uh, I think, uh, you know, America was was founded on immigration. We have a heritage of, of, of immigrants and, and, and uh, America is the land of opportunity seen with many people's view of, of wanting to come here. Uh, I being one, I came in on a visa, I, I, I became a green hold, a green uh, card holder and, and, and eventually a, a, a citizen. So uh, there's a lot of opportunity for a lot of people and, and we are a, a country that, that, that welcomes immigrants. And, and so what can we as individuals, I, I think um, understand that we are not all the same, understand that uh, that there are different cultures and, and, and uh, don't judge. Uh, understand that uh, people from other places in the world, they, they, they do what they do, uh, not meaning that we need to do it what, uh, the way and, and, and how they do it, but understand what they do so they can also therefore understand what, what we do. So the integration is easier that way. I think uh, I would highly encourage if, if you see somebody that, that is new uh, reach out to them and, and, and let them uh, let them know that you can help with context. You can help them with business context for an interview, or you can help them with with education uh, contacts if, if if they are looking for 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 that. Or there are so many places where you can volunteer and and in that get to know more people and therefore develop a network. And and and, and finally, I think and it has already been mentioned, the welcomedayton.com is is a good place to to go, and 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 and. and at a glance, see what what is available, and so refer somebody to that website. I think would be a would be a good thing. 
Fun. Thank you, Niels. Did anyone want to jump in? I, this is kind of an important one, I think. Uh, so if anybody else wants to weigh in, just individuals, some anybody just even watching right now, what are like some of the go-to resources where they can volunteer? Laura, if there's uh, any suggestions you might have uh, for, the, for anyone living in the region that wants to, to make an impact. I think there have been wonderful suggestions uh, already shared by the panelists, but I would add one more uh, for literacy. Um, Bruner Literacy Center is a, is a wonderful uh, tutoring organization that provides one-on-one uh, -on -one, uh, tutoring and um, uh, around any kind of uh, language issue, whether it has to do with prepping for a GED uh, or, or learning to, to read and write better. Uh, Bruner Literacy Center relies on volunteers. I served a couple terms on the board of directors and, and can assure that they're uh, quite committed to be able, uh, being able to uh, complement the work of the other organizations in our community who's, who support immigrant populations. And if you are uh, open to being a, a tutor and working one-on-one -on -one with an adult, it's a, it's a great place to volunteer and a resource that hadn't been mentioned yet. Thank you, Laura. Did anyone else want to jump in? Uh, Katie, did you want to go? Sure, sure. I can add that uh, the committee that uh, worked with New American Economy to produce the report is also trying to get a, a strategic uh, planning process for immigrant integration going for a, for a county level immigrant integration initiative. So if anyone is interested in, uh, in joining in that effort, um, you can either uh, send an email to me, uh, katielanda at gmail.com, just my name and, and at gmail.com, or uh, probably to the Dayton Daily News as well. And we'd be, you know, We'd be delighted to have more people join us. Sounds great. Thank you, Katie. Um, anyone else? Any other suggestions for volunteer activities or potentially organizations to donate to as well? That's okay. I was going to go back to that point. Um, uh, that Laura brought up about literacy and, you know, language acquisition is so important uh, when we talk about the language barrier for, for new Americans and immigrants. Uh, I was going to ask Jean de Deux, um, since that is such an important, uh, language acquisition is so important in the long term, uh, a lot of the immediate needs are sometimes lost, though, because you can't learn English overnight. It's a, it's a long term. It's a long process. What are some of the immediate needs of immigrants and refugees when they arrive in the Dane region? Thank you, Nick. Um, I, I think um, when you get here and, as an immigrant, what you need really is to get orientation of the American culture. So you are moving from one culture to another one. You need really to get orientation of the American culture. The other thing here in America to be successful, there are three things I think you need to get. First of all, you talked about learning English. Yes, you need to know English to be able to communicate with people here in America. Also, you need to, to drive. You, here, if you take a bus, it can take hours. No one will hire you because it will be always late at job, so you need to have a driving license. So, and also um, you need to have some skills on a computer. Those are the basics. 
you can add others, people they need to go to school because some immigrants, they come here with good knowledge. If they go to school, they may be more successful. But when they get here, what they really need is physiological needs, food, water, and where to sleep. And after that, you can uh, add other needs. I think that's great. I think that's a great that's a that's a a great overview of kind of the new experience. And Jean Dudu, if you wanted to share a little of your own experience, I know you you related that story to me. Are you comfortable sharing that? Yeah. And I was going to ask you about that experience and if that experience has changed since you arrived in was it 2008, I believe. Come again. Was it 2008 when you arrived? In yes, I came here in 2008. And uh, if I try to share with you my experience. Do not see me today in a tie. <laughs> I came far away. So when I came here, I was living in a, in a shelter. I was, I was going to say homeless, but I was living in a shelter, downtown Dayton. But I'm telling you, Dayton did a lot for me to come from a shelter to sit where I am today. So I was living in a shelter and when I came, I was like 95% French speaker. My English was really little. And I was going to the public library. I think this is another resources we can share with uh, immigrants. I was going to the public library downtown Dayton to, uh, to get some CDs and DVDs to learn English. And then, uh, after like six months, I was able to hear people because I came here with, I was able to hear the British accent, but the American accent was really hard to, to, to hear. And then I applied, I came here as asylum seeker, I was able to apply, get my asylum. And what I want to share with you, they gave me benefits. They gave me Medicaid and they gave me food stamp. Guess what? I was not able to use the Medicaid. Do you know why? Because here in America, when you need to see a doctor, you need to call. Huh? You need to call to say, hey, I'm coming. So my English was small. I was not calling. And the many immigrants, when they want to, see, to go to the hospital, they call 911 because it's hard for them to call to schedule any medical appointment. I was doing that and that's the reason why I left Ohio State Medical Center to come back to work with immigrants because I was really referring to my experience in the past, how, how I was struggling. So to make the story short, many people in Dayton was able to help me. I can say um, job and family services, they have good, they have food stamp, they have uh, Medicaid. And you cannot imagine how many organizations in Dayton, they are providing ESL, English as second language. I can say Catholic social services. I can say welcome Dayton. I can say uh, Dayton Equity Center. All those people, they are helping, they were helping me. So I want to thank, from my experience, I want to thank people 
and I'm using this voice. I know many immigrants are not in this chair I'm sitting on, but we want to tell you thank you because what you did is really great. Can you imagine Jean being in a shelter in a homeless house and now I'm sitting here? Dayton did a lot. Thank you for opening the schools to us. Many immigrants are going to Sinclair Community College, State, UD. Thank you for opening the school. Thank you for job and family services. Many immigrants, they are getting uh, food. They are getting healthcare. Thank you, and I, I, I got those ones. But good things, you help immigrants the first two, three, years after that, they will, they will start to bring their contribution. Can we imagine how many people are truck drivers in Dayton, immigrants? There are a lot. How many medical doctors, medical doctors we have here in Dayton from India, from Rwanda, from, from Latin America? There are a lot. How many immigrants were able to buy houses? There are many, and they are, pay, they are paying taxes. I think the report that Katie shared is a really a true report. So my experience is long, but I can summarize the experience as this. I was able to go to Wright State University, and I, when I finished my master's degree, I was able to perform a research to assess refugee, refugee health needs in Montgomery County. And after that, I got a job with a CASOS. I, I worked for CASOS for six years. I was helping immigrants in Columbus to navigate the US healthcare system. And after that, I worked for Montgomery County Public Health. And I was able also to help immigrants to navigate the healthcare system. After that, I went to work for Ohio State University Medical Center. That was a great move, but my passion, my moral obligation brought me back here so that I can work with you, I can partner with you to serve the underserved population here in Dayton. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Jean, it's a, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, Niels, I'm sorry, did you want to chime in? Did you have something to add there? You unmuted. Uh, yeah, that was that was by chance. And, and, and I, I, I don't know if it's now, but I will go since you have me on screen. Um, from an employer's point of view, uh, I think it is high time that the country comes up with an easier format for visas and for green cards. It is, uh, I have gone through it and, and, and I've talked to many that have. It is not easy. And I think the program in place is good, but I think it is too cumbersome. So I would hope there is somebody listening that would uh, take this and run with it and, and see some reform in, in, in how we do a visa and how we get students to come here. That's one thing, but how do we get the students to stay here? Uh, and we can get them to stay here if it was easier to get uh, a, a, a visa or a green card application process afterwards. So I didn't wanna leave this forum without that little plug. Absolutely, thank you. I think uh, a, a point a lot of us can agree with. 
Um, I was going to go back to Laura because there's something we talked about a little bit earlier and I didn't want to gloss over it or run by it. Uh, she didn't get a chance to talk about the potential for Ukrainian refugees coming to the Dayton area and I wanted to give her the opportunity. I know that's huge news right now and we wanted to make sure that our readers were aware of what's potentially coming to our region. Thank you, Nick. Uh, over 4 million people have fled Ukraine, uh, primarily to neighboring countries like Poland and are um, you know, in, a, in a state of limbo. The, their, their goal, I mean, this is kind of a, a, a generalization, but for most people who have fled um, turmoil and, and, and violence and war, you know, their desire is to go back home uh, safely if they can. And so, um, you know, stabilization of Ukraine would be the, the goal of, of the majority of the people or uh, secondarily to stay in a neighboring country where they would have easy access perhaps to, to language and loved ones and, and uh, maybe a common culture uh, with the hope of someday uh, reuniting with loved ones or maybe being able to go home. So a formal resettlement experience for the people of Ukraine would be a third uh, third option for most people. And that has not, a, a special program for the Ukrainian refugees has not been created yet. The, uh, there was some elevation, I think, of, of the issue. Uh, Governor uh, DeWine convened a Ukrainian summit last month in Cleveland, in Parma, um, a community where there's a large Ukrainian population to kind of raise awareness, uh, to convene you know, a discussion, to, to identify those, um, those volunteer opportunities, the ability to support, to, to provide charitable um, contributions and to kind of elevate an understanding of, of where we're at as a community. But, and, and again, a formal program has not been created yet for uh, the, the people from Ukraine. But if that should happen, Catholic Social Services as the resettlement organization, one of in our state, but the primary one in the Dayton region, we will assess our organizational capacity. We'll take a look at our community capacity uh, by reaching out to our community partners to assure that we can provide uh, the, a comprehensive um, uh, welcome that we've all talked about is, is so nuanced and requires so many different systems to work together. So we'll assess the organizational capacity, community capacity, and make a decision at that time about whether to participate. I would share with you that uh, Catholic Social Services and so many people, um, volunteers, concerned citizens, uh, organizations, companies, um, we're gonna wanna say yes. Stay tuned. Of course, and thank you, Laura, for sharing that and to bringing everybody up to speed. We now just have a minute left, so I'm gonna close things out. I wanted to thank everyone for joining us this afternoon. I think it was a fantastic discussion. We covered a lot of ground and it always flies by. It's a very short hour for us every time. So thank you all for your uh, expertise and bringing your knowledge to bear on this community conversation. This is a topic that's very near and dear to a lot of people right now. And um, I hope everybody follows the continued coverage as the Day Daily News tracks this issue very closely. And again, thank you for, for listening. Thank you for participating. If you have any follow-up questions, don't hesitate to answer or uh, ask them of me in the email. So you can reach me at Nick Perkman, N-I-C-K-H-R-K-M-A-N at coxinc.com. And I'm happy to uh, address anything else that you guys might have. So thank you again, everybody. And I hope you have a wonderful day. You can read a shortened transcript of this conversation on DaytonDailyNews.com slash ideas-voices. I'm your host, Nick Herkman. Join me next time as we talk to community leaders on topics important to the Dayton region.